Welcome back to another episode of the Spin Sucks Podcast, which is actually not the Spin Sucks Podcast for the month of August. For the month of August, I am lazing about in our inflatable pool and playing Onion with my small child, a pool game she made up. And you, you get to enjoy an episode of the Agency Leadership Podcast, which I co-host with Chip Griffin. In this episode, we talk about how to create non-traditional revenue streams. Many of you know I'm a bit fanatical about this topic. I believe every one of us, business owner or not, should not rely on one revenue stream. For some, that means you have ways to make money outside of your paycheck. And for others, that means you sell something other than agency services. You'll get lots of ideas in this episode. Enjoy. If you're a communications pro who works hard, doesn't compromise quality, and gets the job done, welcome home. We'll share our tips, tricks, and stories, and together we will change the face of PR. Spin sucks, but we don't. With the Spin Sucks podcast, here's Jenny Dietrich. Hello and welcome to the Agency Leadership Podcast. I'm Chip Griffin. And I am Jenny Dietrich. And we are here today to talk about non-traditional revenue streams for your agency. But before we talk about making money, we want to talk about spending money for just a moment. And <laughs> maybe not money you want to spend necessarily, but exactly. You know, it might be that you want to try to find ways to spend money and then have it be tax deductible. A lot of agency owners are interested in minimizing their tax burden while maximizing their fun. And one of the ways to do that is with meals and entertainment expenses, something that most agencies, I'm sure, are already deducting and using to their tax benefit. But there are changes taking place in 2019. And there was some discussion about this in the All Important Spin Sucks community recently. And so we thought that before we jump into our broader topic of revenue, we would just touch on this for just a minute. It is an important area. And mm -hmm. it is something that most agency owners have done for years and years. And so the fact that there are changes now taking place in what is and is not deductible is something that you should be paying attention to. So the article that actually makes it super easy to understand is from Bench. Bench is the accounting firm that we use. I love Bench. They keep things updated super fast. This is not a commercial for them, however. But it was on Bench and it talks about the type of expense, the old rules in 2017 and the new rules in 2018. And the two biggest things that have gone away or declined is entertaining clients. So concert tickets, sporting events, golf games, things like that used to be 50% deductible. Now it's 0% deductible. And the other big thing is office snacks and meals used to be 100% deductible. And that's now 50% deductible. So when you're thinking about entertaining clients or bringing food in for your employees, keep that in mind that it's either not deductible anymore or half of what it used to be. Right. And there are different guidelines when it comes to employees, for mm -hmm. example, as far as the percentage of your staff that are engaged. So like everything with the IRS, it's not simple. It does require a little bit of education. I think the biggest thing that will hit at least some agencies, probably the larger ones, are things like season tickets, luxury suites, those kinds of things that the bigger agencies tend to spend more money on. Obviously, smaller agencies, a little bit less likely, but may have season tickets to sporting teams yeah, and, and those sorts yeah. of things that they've used for client entertainment. And I think that's probably where the pinch will be felt the most. There's been some discussion about impacting on travel and client meals generally. For the most part, those rules seem to be pretty similar. Obviously, we are not accountants, 
So talk to your own accountant, which is the sort of upshot of this segment. We think that it's important that all agency owners are having these ongoing conversations with their professional tax and bookkeeping advice to make sure that they are both tracking things correctly as well as being prepared at tax time to properly document any of these expenses so that in the event that you are audited, you can explain, yes, Mr. IRS man, we did this properly. <laughs> yes, Mr. IRS man, please. <laughs> or please woman, don't I don't want to be sexist here. I mean, <laughs> fair. Yes, please, IRS person. IRS audits are certainly not something you look forward to, but no. as, as long as you are maintaining your records appropriately and not doing anything outlandish, they shouldn't be a huge deal. I've certainly been through various government agency audits, including one IRS one, nice little random check on my retirement program for my firm a few years ago. That was that oh. was fun because it was the first time they had ever started auditing small business retirement plans. And I said, well, it's the Fidelity Simple IRA. So you're kind of going to have to talk to them about the details of how yeah, it's right, set yeah. up. <laughs> right. Well, where are the plan documents? Uh, you're going to have to ask Fidelity. I went on the Fidelity website and clicked sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you say that because I have our 401k administered through our accounting firm because they also do that. And she sends me paper files every year and says, put this somewhere where they can be found. And I'm like, can't you send it to me digitally? No. So I have paper files of them all in my little book that if it ever happens, I can just say, here they are. And you definitely want to hold on to those because that has become an area of emphasis for the IRS in recent years is monitoring retirement plans. So unfortunately, we were one of the first small businesses in New England to be subject to this program probably five or six years ago. And the guy who was doing it had never audited a small business retirement program before. So oh. he was learning as he went. <laughs> and on yeah, you, that's yeah, on us. Sure. And so he was certainly uh, nice enough, but he was used to auditing thousands of employee retirement plans, right, self-administered, right. the whole thing, where a lot of these issues do come up. And when you've got a 401k, there are more issues. Like I said, in our case, it was a simple IRA through Fidelity. So couldn't get any simpler than that. It's about all you can do at the simplest level. And so he just wasn't quite sure what to do when we said, call Fidelity. <laughs> call Fidelity. Because we said, look, Fidelity is much more likely to answer your phone call than ours. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's funny. So we ended up resolving it. It wasn't no huge issue there, but certainly I've been through that. I've went through one uh, for auditing independent contractor statuses. Again, it was a random audit, not a targeted thing. Very simple, kind of just made sure I had the documentation. But you want to make sure that you always have your documentation in place so that if you get selected for a random or not so random audit, you are ready mm -hmm. to deal with it. And in this case, with the change in the meals and entertainment, because it's something that so many agency owners are probably taking advantage of, we yeah. want to make sure that you all are thinking about it and aware of this change. So anything else on fun tax matters before we move into? No, that's my least favorite topic. So let's move on. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my least favorite, but it's pretty close to it. I would think employment law is probably my right, that's my fair. absolute least all favorite. Right. That's up in there too. I would agree with that. All right. So anyway, all right. So let's talk about making money instead. Let's talk about Yes, I like to make money. Let's we do will that. talk about non traditional revenue streams. And we've previously talked on this show about the importance of diversifying your revenue streams, not being reliant upon just one thing as an agency and really finding ways to smooth out cash flow, accelerate growth, etc. And some of that's through traditional means, in other words, mixing up projects with retainers. But 
increasingly agencies are finding non-traditional revenue streams, things like mm-hmm, courses, mm-hmm. webinars, mm-hmm. products, even software. And one that you and I have talked about offline before is equity, which is it's an alternative form of compensation in one sense, but it's also an alternative revenue stream depending on how you structure it. So there's a lot of different ways that agency owners can generate revenue these days. And I thought it would be fun to sort of talk about some of them and how we view them and how agency owners might be able to take advantage of them. Yes, I like to make money. That is my favorite topic. And finding ways to make money while you sleep, which is even even better. better. A lot of agency owners are either consciously or subconsciously looking to do that because you can only do so much by selling your own time. And so if you're able to look to some of these non-traditional revenue streams so that instead of being a one-to-one revenue generator, maybe it's a one-to-many or alternative ways of getting money in the door, it's worthwhile thinking about. So let's talk about some of these. And one of the ones that I know has become particularly popular with a lot of agencies lately is courses or trainings. So in the old days, agencies would do trainings for an individual client, right, or their teams. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, I think we see folks who are starting courses either online or in person to train groups of people. And this has a twofold effect. You can generate revenue directly out of it, but it's also a way to build your reputation, get in front of more people, show your expertise. So we have an agency owner program that teaches agency owners how to build passive income and how to market it and sell it just based on the last five years of our doing it, what's worked and what hasn't, and we help them through it. What we found with those clients is there's a third piece to that, which is you can have a conversation with a prospect and now you have you have several different paths to take them down. So while you're having a conversation with a prospect, you can say, oh, well, we have this online program that teaches you how to do X, Y, Z. Let me tell you a little bit about that. And it's $5,000. Or the prospect's like, oh, that sounds awesome, but there's no way I can do that myself. I really need an agency with arms and legs. Great. We can do exactly what you've just detailed and it's $20,000. Like, so we find that ancillary benefit where it you may be talking to somebody about your online program, but come to find out they really need you to do the work or vice versa. You may be talking to them about doing the work and they don't have the budget to spend for you to do it. So you have this program where they still get you, but you're teaching them how to fish instead of doing the fishing. Right. I think that, that what you've described there is great because it expands the breadth of prospect that you can reach out to, right? So you don't right. necessarily <laughs> have to limit it to just a small swath that is ripe for your highest end solution, although certainly you want to get them there if you can. There's ways to, as I like to put it, to give them the menu and let them decide how much they're going to pay you and still make money all the way along the process. And as you say, also find ways to upsell them because the magic of sales is that it's always easier to sell to an existing client than it is to find a new one. So if you can get someone in the door with a lower cost, but not cheap training program, you can then move them up the ladder and into some of your other opportunities, particularly if you paint that picture and they realize, geez, I can't really do this on my own. But You've really convinced me that this is the right path. And I mean, to your point, people get really accustomed to working with you. And the idea of lying on their own without you is scary for people. They're like, "Uh, okay, I know you just taught me this, but what happens when I do that? And then this happens. And they, I mean, there are some people who are like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks for all that. But I would say 
70% of your clients on the online program side of things will say, I need to keep working with you. Can you keep coaching me? Is there so, like, so that you'll be able to find new quote unquote products to continue to work with people based on what they need because of what they're telling you. And it's significantly easier once they start working with you to keep them on as a client for a right. very and, long and time. And I think what you've identified there is really the trick to this, which is in the course of your conversations with clients, with prospects, to identify what the real need is there. And if you're doing a good job of listening, then you'll be much better situated to figure out what solutions you can offer using the expertise that you have, that you've developed, the processes that you've created, and try to find additional ways to capitalize on them so that it's not just limited to the traditional agency construct. Yeah, you have to listen. You can't do all the talking. And you will hear things repeatedly. So there are two things that we're launching this year just based on what our clients told us last year. And both of them were not things that we had even considered. But because we were listening and we were like, oh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Let's do that. And so, I mean, we still have to sell it, right? But <laughs> so that's still to be seen. But it's a really good opportunity for you to start to create. I hate the word product because it's not really a product. It's a program. It's training based on your intellectual property, but it is productized from the perspective that you create it once and then you sell it. It's sort of like having a widget. You build the widget once and then you just keep manufacturing it. Sort of, It's the same idea. It's also a different business model. So there's that too, but it's significantly easier to scale a business when you have this type of revenue stream because it's not reliant on a person's well, and, time. And you say it isn't products per se, but in some cases it actually is, particularly for digital agencies or more digitally minded agencies. You're increasingly seeing them perhaps create a tool for internal use and then they realize, hey, there's a market beyond yep. my own clients for this. And they turn around and they sell it, whether that's a WordPress plugin or a standalone platform or whatever. I go back to thinking about Custom Scoop when I created that 20 years ago. I was doing the traditional agency consulting thing, and I was using sort of traditional paper clipping services and realized that that wasn't great. I had built this other program to grab headlines for a political newsletter that I wrote, and we said, hey, wait a minute, this is something that we could use more broadly than our own clients as a way to gather online news clips. And so suddenly a business right. was born. And we've seen that, I think, increasingly in recent years, particularly as the barrier to entry to creating some of these software products, software as a service, et cetera, has become much lower. It's much easier for agencies to get involved with this. So take a look at what you're doing and say, is there knowledge? Is there process? Are there tools that I've created that I can find an additional source of customers for? Can I go beyond my existing customer base with it? That's a really good point. And Coverage Book was created that way because they were trying to figure out how to build better coverage reports for their internal audiences and did it that way. And then they were like, wait a second, there's a business out of this. And then Iris, the same thing. Ali Sachs ran an agency in Phoenix and they were trying to figure out how to better track results for media relations and built this tool internally and realized, wait, there's something here. We could actually go to other agencies and sell this as a media relations results tracking tool. And they've done extraordinarily well there. Doing right. That. And actually, if memory serves correctly, Basecamp was born that way. Basecamp ah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. was originally developed as a project management tool yep. for 
design and development agency. And then they said, hey, look, turns out other people can use this. And they ended up going down that path. So there's a lot of different ways that you can get there. Now, Jenny, you also mentioned something that's important that I think that agency owners need to consider is this is a different way of doing business, right? This is. is a different business model. So it, is a it, different it, business it may model. not be right for everybody. And right. so you, know, you need to think through, okay, is this really something that I want to pursue? Because while we think it's great to have additional revenue streams, they need to be ones that are a good fit for what you're trying to build, for your ability to manage. I mean, managing a software development team is far different from managing traditional communicators, right? Just well, and even, straight up, it's different. Yeah, even managing a team where it is intellectual property and you're doing training, it's completely right. different because you have traditional sales team, you have inside sales, you have coaches. Yep. It's different than hiring a team of communicators where you have the skill set to be able to help them evolve and grow. And when you're building a team and bringing on people that have varying skills, A, you don't have those skill sets yourself. So you don't know if they're, are they doing a good job? I think so. I don't know. Right. So right. there's a lot of that that goes into it too. It is a different business model. Right. And so it may be that you have this great idea and you realize that you're not the best fit for it. So that may be an opportunity to look at creative business arrangements too. Do you partner with somebody else? Maybe you've already developed a relationship with another firm. And you say, hey, we could work well together, our intellectual property, your existing sales team, whatever. There are other ways to do it. There are risks to that as well. And something that you want to be aware of, you want to make sure that if you're engaged in that kind of joint venture, that you very carefully document it. Because otherwise, the possibility that someone decides that down the road that they own something fully when perhaps that wasn't the initial understanding, put these things in writing, yes, flesh please. them out. But it's also, as I've always said, most of these agreements, it's the process you go through that's just as important as the paper that you end up with. Yeah. So it allows you to start thinking those things through with your potential partner, whether that's an individual or another company or whatever, and find those possible synergies, find the potential potholes at the same time so that mm -hmm. you can identify mm -hmm. those early. Mm -hmm. Which I think leads to the equity conversation. And you and I have had this conversation on SpinSucks the blog in the comments. But I think there is certainly not for every client and maybe not even for clients at all, but finding yourself in front of an organization that you really believe in, that you think is going to go big places, figuring out a way to work in equity in exchange for quote unquote sweat. So time inside helping them from a PR marketing perspective and you get equity out of that. I've done this three times now where I've been on boards that have sold and I've had equity. I've always done it so that anything that was my time, so it was strategic, forward thinking, helping with messaging, helping with crisis, that kind of stuff, that all went into my equity piece. But if it required execution and my team, then there had to be a retainer for that. So I've always worked out a deal in all three instances where if the team was doing content and social and media relations and all that kind of stuff, and it was truly tactical execution, then there was a retainer for that. But the high level strategic thinking, media training, that kind of stuff, that all went into my equity. And so I was essentially, at the time, quote unquote, giving my time away for free. But in all three instances, it worked out on the back end quite well. And I ended up making more money than I would have had we done a retainer mm -hmm. and I had billed for my time. 
Yeah. Look, so I am a big believer in having equity in growing businesses, right? I love it. I think it's great. I've invested in a lot of companies, either through sweat equity, real equity, whatever, over the years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's huge upside potential. Plus, at least in my case, I also just find it fun. I enjoy sort of the startup mentality. And typically, this is a startup culture kind of thing. I mean, this is not right, typically right. something where an established business is going to look to compensate you with equity. It's not unheard of. There are pivots that companies may make where they might do it. But by and large, it's the startup world that would do it this way. So I'm a huge fan of it. At the same time, I think that when I look at it from an agency comp perspective, you have to put it in the category of very advanced techniques. And I would say not even just advanced techniques, but very advanced, because if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself into a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And so if this is something that you are interested in, if it's something that you're thinking about, some of the things that I would advise you to think about, first of all, don't view this as solely a way to replace cash, right? Which is how a lot of times this conversation starts. A lot of times it's a startup that just doesn't have cash and they're like, well, right. look, no. you know, how about I just give you equity instead? Nope. No. No. You want to be no. very, very cautious to the yes. point of almost absolutely saying no to that. This is something that was very popular during the first internet bubble 20 years ago. And a lot of professional service firms, both PR and law firms in particular, took a bath because they ended up with all sorts of worthless equity. So you want to make sure that if you're going down this road, that you're doing it because you see value that you can add beyond the mere transactional. And so I think the way that you've thought about it and the way you've structured it such that your time, that's equity, execution that involves the rest of your agency, that's straight comp, right? I think that's a useful way of thinking about it. But the other piece is, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show already, even though we've only been around for a few months so far, but you need to get professional advice. Because the number of things that you can get tripped up on here are incredible. And you want to make sure that you know what all of the consequences, particularly the tax consequences, are. Because you can get yourself into a whole lot of a financial mess very quickly when you're taking equity. Because depending on the stage of the company and valuations and all that kind of stuff, if you're getting actual equity given to you, in other words, actual shares of the company, that may well be a taxable event at that time, even though there's no cash. So you may owe taxes on it. So be very, very careful in how you do this and how you structure it. And in all likelihood, the company itself is going to be thinking about this. And if they're not, that's probably a warning sign too, right? If they haven't given thought to what the tax consequences are, they're probably not thinking through all the issues they need to as a business. And so you want to be very careful because you don't ever want to have equity turn into a negative. Right. And I will tell you, you can negotiate that in there. So I've always negotiated the, you'll send me a check for my taxes that are due. And so that becomes a quote unquote cash event because they do send you a check or a wire transfer for the amount that you'll owe in your taxes, but it's just a a straight turnaround. Right. Um, Anytime you're dealing with equity in any fashion, whether it's you've got partners in your agency or you you're doing it as part of a revenue stream or whatever, you always want to think about those tax consequences and how you handle tax payments because any good agreement that you have will address how taxes get handled, particularly if it's a pass-through taxable event, which is very common within the agency itself, a little less so on the equity side, but it can still create taxable events. And so you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page as far as how that gets paid for. 
The other two things I really think through is, number one, if you're going to do time in exchange for equity, especially as the leader of the organization, make sure that you have a board seat for that because that makes a big difference when the company is sold. And the other thing, do not, do not, do not ever, 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 ever trade equity for results on your communications program or any program. Do not do it. I have made that mistake. I made it one time. I caution everybody, do not trade any compensation in exchange for results. I was just about to jump in and say, don't just limit it to equity. You never, ever, ever want your comp. No, no. (laughs) Nope. Never, 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 ever, ever. (laughs) Unless it's the performance of your own agency. And frankly, if you can control it and it, yeah, it was the performance of your own agency. That's different. But when you can't control how money's being spent or what profit looks like, do not do it. Right. And anytime you have, and and I think we addressed this a little bit in the employee compensation side of things, but anytime that you have anything that's incentive based, whether it's equity, cash, compensation, I don't care what it is, you always have to assume that, that your upside is zero. Right. And so are you happy if you never see a penny of it for whatever reason. And this goes for whether you're selling your business or getting an employee bonus, any of these things. It's You always want to be assuming that it's going to be a zero in that column. And if you're still right. comfortable with it, you can think about it. <laughs> but <laughs> as an agency, you should never allow your agency compensation never. to be tied Ever. to that. No, nope. Ever. nope, never, never, never. That doesn't even depend. Never. No. Although, I mean, everything depends, right? I mean, it is the motto of this show. It is so, the motto, sure. Yeah. You know, which I'm not sure anybody's really noticed because, you know. Oh, I think some people okay. have. Right. I've had a couple mentions okay. of it. Right. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's always nice when people listen to that. I mean, I think five people listen thing. to us, but. Well, <laughs> yes, but, you know, more than that to start the show. We just don't know how many of you finish. So. Right. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. So, in any case, that does actually bring us to the end of this show, though. We've. Managed to go on for quite some time here, and we always keep this show under 30 minutes for your listening pleasure. And because, well, that'll help you if you're on the treadmill. You know your 30 minutes are up when our show is done. Now you know you're almost finished with your run. And so we will let you get off of that treadmill and on to the treadmill of life. No. (laughs) (laughs) Lame. Okay. Um, All right. um. Yep. (laughs) So on that note, this has been another episode of the Agency Leadership Podcast. I'm Chip Griffin. And I'm Jenny Dietrich. And it depends. If you're ready to change the face of PR, make sure you subscribe to the Spin Sucks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review. 